0: Kids and youth, thank you for leading us, getting this ready for Easter, right? He is alive, right? Okay, well, why don't you turn, swipe, click, whatever you need to do, <laughs> to John chapter 6, and we're going to continue our journey uh, through the book of John. You remember the focus of it is to magnify the glory of Christ. That's John's ultimate message. And today we are going to be in John chapter 6, and we look at verses 22 through 59. Title is, Jesus, I Am, and the Bread of Life. And we're going to see both of those things worked out in this passage. And the big idea I want us to leave together with as we walk out tonight is that Jesus, the Son of God, is essential for life
1: and life eternal. Jesus, the Son of God, is essential for life and life eternal.
0: Let's start off by talking about one of my favorite subjects, bread. I like bread. Um, I like Italian food. I like bread. I should have been born Italian, I think, but I'm Irish. don't know what that means, but but I love bread. All, bread's of all kind. Um, I'm just not supposed to be eating as much right now, but... <laughs> When we were living in Fort Worth, we occasionally would go to a store called Central Market, and I loved when we turned the corner around from the frozen food and the meat aisle into the bakery, because oftentimes they had just finished making bread, and they would have all these samples free for you to try. And I would make my way and try the different samples of bread. Um, They were hot and fresh. The aroma was wonderful. It was nice and warm after coming from the freezer area with all the meat and everything. It was a cozy spot. And it was a highlight to go there to just sample that bread. Tonight, we're going to see Jesus talk about bread. And it's it's a parable, a word picture he's going to use because it's something that's throughout all of our cultures, right? Bread is a staple item in all cultures. And it's always meant to show hospitality. And so the word companion. When we, we have a companion over for dinner, we're having someone over to have bread with. And that word companion comes from the Latin. Com means to share. And panis, bread. We share bread together. Companion literally means sharing that bread. And it's a pervasive symbol throughout all cultures. And there's a Moroccan proverb that says, by bread and salt, we are united. And even if, even if you go to the Middle East today, uh, even if you go to... Um, any country in the Middle East, if they invite you to your house to break bread, you can be assured of one thing. You're going to be safe there because it's their custom, right? If Once they break bread with you, they take ownership of your safety there. Even if they're your enemy, they're going to take ownership of your safety. We see that even in the Old Testament when uh, uh, people visit Abraham, right? And he breaks bread with them, okay? It means he would take care of their safety. And so it's still used today. When we have community group, oftentimes we have what bread of all kinds, right? And we and we like that. It's comfort food. And John, and John is going to use um, some analogies here as Jesus talks about this parable uh, of bread. And he's been working through this up to this passage. He's talked about Jesus um, throughout the John, uh, throughout the first six chapters, right? Talking that he is the Son of God. He is the light of the world. He's the living water. And tonight he's going to be the bread of life. And you remember where Jesus was born, Bethlehem. And what does Bethlehem mean? House of, so we have the bread of life coming from the house of bread, okay? So that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight. And in this passage, it's a passage of contrast that we're gonna see John write through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna see earthly versus heavenly. We're gonna see the physical versus the spiritual. We're gonna see death versus life. We're going to see wrong motives and the one true motive. And we're going to see Jesus as a rabbi versus Jesus as the son of God. And we're going to see those two extremes pit against each other throughout this passage. If you're wondering what is the most expensive bread, um, I looked it up this morning. It is the gold leaf bread from the Pan Pina Bakery in Spain. It's $120.73 a loaf. That bakery's been family-owned for 70 years. They make all 50 50 or more kinds of bread there. And the reason why this loaf of bread is so expensive, it's made with 250 milligrams of gold dust. That's nine one-thousandths of an ounce. Okay, that makes it that expensive. We're going to see something even more priceless than this bread tonight. We're going to see Jesus is going to be eternity for us. He's going to give us eternal life worth more than this gold leaf bread in Spain. So we're going to read this passage because it is lengthy, um, and I don't want you here for three hours. Somebody say amen. Okay, there you go. Okay, so we're going to do this in chunks, okay? So the first passage we're going to look at is 22 through 34, and we're going to see in this passage that the people are focused on artificial bread. They're not focused on the bread of life. So let's read the passage together. Verses 22 through 34, and then we'll talk about it. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. And you all remember from last week, how did Jesus get there? He, he walked across the sea. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Notice Jesus doesn't answer them. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He never answered their question. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. You see in this short passage here that there's four requests made by the people, and they're still stuck on the physical bread that Jesus had multiplied, uh, earlier, when feeding the 5,000 men were 20,000 people. And the first question they ask in verse 25 is, How did you get here? And they're asking the wrong motive, right? They're looking at Jesus as a meal ticket rather than as a Messiah. And Jesus even says, You're looking for me because I, I gave you a fill of loaves, right? Your stomach's full and you want more bread. That's why you're asking this question. You're seeking me for the wrong motive. And Jesus trying to get them to shift their minds to focus on the
1: spiritual food rather than physical food. You notice that he uses this phrase, son of man, rather than
0: son of God. And that son of man, the Jewish leaders who were listening would have automatically thought about Daniel chapter 7, uh, referring to Jesus as the son of man, as it was
1: foretold. And he says, you need to focus on me. I'm the one you need to focus on, not the physical food.
0: Isaiah 55, 12 said this. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. That's what Jesus wanted to focus on, not the miraculous multiplication of the bread. He said that was a symbol for the true purpose that I'm here. The true purpose I'm here is to give you spiritual life, not to give you physical life, not edification of some physical bread, but edification of spiritual bread. He's trying to get them to shift that mind. And they're, they, and they're not getting it, right? So in the first, this next question, they ask him, verse 28, basically saying, is, what do we do? He said, I'm here to give you this bread, that spiritual bread. And they say, well, what do we do? And again, their motive is wrong. Um, they said to him, "We must. What must we do to be doing
1: the works of God? What must we do to do the works of God? Do we do the same thing, right? How can I help you, God, right, to do your works? Wrong
0: motive, right? This whole pattern—they're man-centered rather than God-centered—and they missed a point that said the son of, right above. It said the Son of God gives you. There's nothing you need to do." Right? They're asking, what must we do? And they missed the whole point. He said, the Son of God gives
1: you something. There's no work you have to do to get this bread. Jesus is talking about a single work, and they're asking,
0: what works must we do? They want a laundry list, a checklist of what must we do.
1: And Jesus has a simple answer, right? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has
0: sent. You believe in Jesus. It's that simple. But yet we make it so complicated, do we not? The gospel message is really that simple.
1: Believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Next question they ask in verse 30.
0: They're still missing the point. So they said to them, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Again, the wrong motive. They're looking for a physical sign rather than looking for the spiritual motive of Jesus. And they mention, you know, we had this man, Moses, who gave us manna. Remember how long they had manna? Forty years, right? Walking around circles of the desert and they had manna for 40 years. I don't know how many ways you can prepare manna, but surely after 40 years, you've exhausted all the ways you can prepare manna, right? So, um. And they're saying, Jesus, this man, Moses, he gave us food for 40 years. You just gave us food one time across the sea. You you multiplied some food, yes, you you fed us once, but he did it for 40 years. So what other sign are you going to do? They weren't satisfied with what Jesus had done,
1: right? They wanted something more. This manna. And Jesus reminds them, the manna didn't come from Moses,
0: right? Moses is not the one who gave you the manna. It was God. And the, the, uh, the Greeks and the Latins referred to man as perspiration from the sky or saliva of the stars, right? It came down from heaven. It came from God. And what Jesus wanted them to do and what we need to do, we, we need to believe in Jesus rather than on the statements of Jesus, right? They're, they're wanting to focus on his actions. And Jesus says, no, I want you to focus on the person of me. I am the Messiah. I am the bread of life. I am the
1: Savior. It is me you're supposed to be focusing on, not all the actions around you. And he mentions this true bread, right? He says he is giving it to the world.
0: In verse 33, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, Jesus, and gives life to the world. He's foreshadowing what he's going to do on the cross in his resurrection, right? He's foreshadowing his sacrifice and his conquering the penalty of our sin, death, and his resurrection. He's giving life to the world. You're thinking of just being, you know, normal everyday body life, right? I mean, I need some energy. I need some calories. So I need some bread from you, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I want you to, I want you to have life eternal. And that's what I want you to focus on. And then... It comes down to verse 34, kind of my favorite, not so favorite verse of theirs, a statement of theirs. Sir, at least they were polite. Sir, <laughs> give us this bread always. Wrong motive. They're demanding, right? Rather than being devotional to Jesus. Right? Making demand,
1: not being devoted to him. Give us this bread always. They're still thinking it's physical bread. And they have this entitlement attitude, right?
0: This entitlement attitude didn't start with Gen Z. It started in Genesis chapter 3. And it did. Right? Remember what Satan is trying to If I paraphrase Satan's words, it says, you are entitled to have the same knowledge as God. And that started all the sin in the world, right? Entitlement. And these people feel like they're entitled. They're Jewish. We are the chosen nation. We are one God blesses. Jesus, if you are the Messiah, then give us His bread always. Of course, they're still thinking of physical bread. They still do not get it. They're thinking of the artificial bread. And so let's look at verses 35 through 40. And we're going to see that Jesus is going to introduce them to not the artificial bread, but the true bread. And John has been working all the way up to this passage. This is one of the centerpieces of his passage. Remember, he spent very little on walking in the water, little time on talking about feeding the 5,000 because he wanted to get this passage.
1: And this passage says that I am the bread of life. So verse 35, Jesus said to them,
0: I am the bread of life. And when he says I am, it's ego me. It's one of the I am passages that says he is God. I am the I am. I am the son of God. I am God part of the Trinity, and I'm also the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. There's so much in this passage, right? <laughs> so much theology um, in here. And we could literally spend three hours, but we're not. I'm going to hit the high points, okay? I'm going to leave it to your community groups to dive in deeper. It says, He is I am, He is divine. He pronounces his deity. I am the son of God. Think people of the spiritual, not the physical. He's trying to get them to f- switch that focus. Remember he did the same thing with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was thinking of the physical birth, right? And, God, and Jesus, in that conversation with Nicodemus in the middle of the night, was trying to get him to focus on the spiritual aspects. He's doing the same thing here. People are focused on the physical. He says, no, I am God. And I'm also the bread of life. He's starting to use this word picture. That everybody's familiar with. They're familiar with bread and the life that it gives. But he's talking about spiritual life, not physical. And we see that one who comes to him, who believes in him, will what? Will find his spiritual hunger satisfied.
1: Never hungry, never thirsty. Do you want peace in your life? Ask Jesus into your life. You will not hunger, not thirst you will have the peace that surpasses all human understanding.
0: Scripture tells us, and everybody in this room who has gone through trouble is going to attest the fact, if you believer, that Jesus does do that. He fills you with
1: peace. That surpasses all human understanding. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. The people have seen
0: Jesus. They've seen what he has done. He has healed multiple people. Right? He has walked on the water. He, he has fed them and multiplied the food. But yet, they do not see him as he's supposed to be seen, as spiritual Messiah. Their hearts are hardened because they're thinking of who? Not of Jesus, but of themselves. Right? They're being self-centered, man-centered, rather than God-centered. And I love this verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Do you want to know a verse about the assurance of your salvation? There's one of them right there. You can stake your eternal life on that verse. You will not lose your salvation. Jesus will not let anybody take you away. You will not be cast out. Your sins have been forgiven. You have been
1: justified. During judgment, you will be pronounced Free, right? And enter to eternity with him. It also removes the pressure
0: when we share the gospel with people, right? All the Father gives me will come to me. Remember, it's, it's God, the Holy Spirit, that does the work during evangelism, right? All we're supposed to do is proclaim the word, proclaim the gospel message. We live, leave the conversion uh, up to God and the Holy Spirit. It relieves that pressure. From you. You're not responsible for the person's decision. God's going to draw that
1: person. And we'll talk about that more as we go along. He's constantly drawing people. Verse 40,
0: again, people have started mentioning Moses to him. So he's going to mention Moses back to them in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. He's trying to get the people to remember what happened with Moses and the serpent? When he lifted that bronze serpent and they had to look on it, what happened? They were healed. And that's the word picture Jesus is trying to put here. You're going to look upon the son of God and you will be healed spiritually of all your
1: sins. Because as we said last week, Jesus is mightier than Moses, right? He's the son of God. Now let's look at the next passage, verses 41 through 51, because we're going to see some little more detail about what the
0: true bread is, what this bread of life is. So the Jews grumbled about him. And they're going to continue to grumble until he's crucified, right? So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus is continuing using this word picture of the bread. The Jews are grumbling. They say, Isn't this just the man?" from Nazareth, we know who he was born. He's just Mary's and Joseph's son from Nazareth, that city that nobody wants to come from, right? That despised city. And yet he is saying he's the son of God. Isn't he just an ordinary man? No, he's extraordinary, right? Because he's the son of God. He's the God man, Jesus, and the son of God, both man and God together. Nine times in this passage tonight, Jesus says that he came down from heaven or was sent from heaven. Verse 29 and 33, 38, 41, 43, 50, 51, 57, and 58. Jesus is being consistent in his message. I came from heaven. I was sent from heaven by the Father. He couldn't put it any clearer if you put it on the neon side. I am the Son of God. But they're still grumbling over that, right? They're still not understanding or not, they're choosing not to understand. His, his claim to his heavenly origin is unmistakable. He's been consistent all the way through. And then he starts talking about this passage about people coming to him, that no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And this is a stumbling block for the Jews because they thought they, they were the chosen by God by virtue of their their physical and natural birth. Period, right? Nobody else could come to the Father. And yet Jesus is saying that he's going to draw anyone to himself, not just the Jews, Gentiles as well, and that he is drawing. It's not based on you were born a Jew. It's based on God drawing them to you. Jesus made it clear that God must draw people before they can come to God. And notice that it's drawing. It's not dragging. We still have free will, right? God has given us that. So he's not going to drag us to himself, but he's going to draw us. He's going to woo us. But we still have to make that decision to what? To believe, as Jesus said. This is not irresistible grace. He's not going to drag us to himself. Everyone who responds to the Father will respond to the Son, he says. Now, this involves a whole bunch of arguments that I don't want us to get sidetracked on tonight. About predestination and free will and all those things, we can talk about that another night. But I want you—the bottom line I want you to know tonight—is that God is at work in our salvation. He is involved. Why is
1: He involved? Because He loves us. He takes ownership of His creation.
0: Whosoever believes in Me, He wants to draw everyone to Himself. Unless the the Father draws you according to. His, Verse 44, you won't really come to Jesus with your heart. And those of us who have asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we should be thankful, right, that he drew us to himself and that we responded. Matthew 13, verse 16 through 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. We hear a lot about privilege in society nowadays. We've been privileged
1: to see and hear God and to be drawn to him for our salvation. And that privilege is available to anyone because he loves us. (laughs) Verse here, it says, "Um, and
0: they shall be taught by God Jesus is quoting uh, Isaiah 54, 13, uh, saying that basically it's talking about peace, that they will be given peace from God. Again, asking Jesus to your heart as your Lord and Savior, you will have peace. And I don't know anybody in this world who does not want peace. They're
1: all trying to get peace, right, in many different ways. And there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ.
0: Moses gave the manna, and it led to what? Death. Jesus is giving the bread of life himself, and it leads where? To life. Eternal life. And we see that this Jesus, the bread of life, comes from where? It comes from heaven. It's sourced from heaven, not from earth. It comes from an independent craft bakery from God. Right? That's where it comes from. God's signature bread is Jesus. It has an unmistakable flavor and aroma. Psalm 34, 8 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste that bread. It is good. Second thing we see about the true bread, verses 52 through 59, are the ingredients of the bread. And we're going to see the people had a false understanding of what the ingredients of Jesus is. Starting in verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, they're still grumbling and arguing, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Because Jesus he just said, and the bread that I give you for life of the world is my flesh. How can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I, have, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. They're still grumbling. And they're... Their conclusion is threefold. He's either a lunatic, or he's lying, or he's really Lord the Messiah. Same thing they said about his resurrection, right? He's either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Well, he's not a lunatic. Jesus here is mixing metaphors, right? He's going to go from bread to flesh and blood. And he's doing that on purpose, right? He's doing that to start moving us towards the cross in his resurrection. They're focused on this flesh and blood, right? They move to the point where Jesus is talking about some bizarre cannibalism, right? And he's not. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's using figurative language, something they understand, trying to point them to the cross. He just explained that the bread was his body. And that would be given as a sacrifice for the life of the world in verse 51. And so now, using his body as a metaphor, switching from bread to body, he's saying, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Which gets the Jews' attention, right? Because they can't do anything with death, they, right? They're for, forbidden from doing that. They're forbidden with eating anything that has blood in it. Remember back to our study in Leviticus together. And so, automatically, they're offended, right? But Jesus is talking about the spiritual aspects, not the physical and trying to point, start to point them to the cross and his
1: sacrifice. He's trying to teach them, I'm, I'm coming to atone for your sin. That's how I give you eternal life. I am going to sacrifice myself for the world. Now,
0: some people do take this passage and, and view it not as figurative, but as literal. So our uh, Catholics, for instance, right, view this very literal. That when you do the Lord's Supper, when you eat the bread and drink the wine, the miracle happens and it actually turns into Jesus' flesh and blood. But the other, and another miracle happens though that you don't, your senses don't view it as that, as flesh and blood. That transubstantiation is the word they use, right? And they're using that this passage as literal rather than figurative. Jesus is not being literal, okay? He's being figurative. He's trying to say, "I want to atone for your."
1: for you, for your sins, and give you life, life eternal. That's the ingredients. It's not my flesh and blood.
0: I want you to abide in me, to feed on him. We'll talk about that in a minute in the applications, but I want you to feed on me to have eternal life.
1: Believe in him, abide with him. That's what Jesus is moving us towards. So the big idea,
0: Jesus is the son of God. That statement is crystal clear. Jesus has been unequivocally clear that he is the son of God. He is from heaven. The father sent him. He is the Messiah. And that he is essential for life and eternal life. There's no other way to have immortality, eternal life, whatever word you want to use, except through Jesus. Not cryogenics, okay? Not pumping plasma youth in you. Not in, taking any genetic or molecular Products off the market. It's only through Jesus, and so there's two applications for our church here. And as we think about mobilizing Living Hope, Brian, we have two missions for mobilization. One is advancing the church, and the other is advancing the gospel. So, advancing the church is eating the bread of life, and advancing the gospel is sharing the bread of life. Let's talk about eating the bread of life first. So we saw in our prep verse, Ecclesiastes 3.11, that we are made with a hunger for the eternal. In uh, John Bunyan's book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, um, I urge you to read if you haven't. Um, I've read it in the Old English and the Modern English, both. Um, Modern English, of course, is easier to understand. There's also a kid's version as well. Um, But the, the character Christian, he discovers that he has a great need to avoid the perishing of his sins. And he's advised to fly from the wrath to come. So Christian begins running and running and running and crying out, life, life, eternal life. People think he's a lunatic. Sound familiar? Some friends try to stop him. Running after him, they remind him of all in the world that he is forsaking. But Christian stops and invites him to join him and explains, all which you shall forsake is not worthy to be compared with a little of that which I am seeking to enjoy. I seek an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away. And it is laid up in heaven, and is safe there to be bestowed on them that diligently seek it. And though the, few, the friends refuse to follow him, Christian presses on in the faith and actually reaches heaven's gate at the end of that book. He's searching for eternity. He was searching for life. Nothing will satisfy our hunger and bring us to life except actually eating the bread of life. That's what Jesus Is trying to tell us. And notice that this faith in Jesus is not compared with just tasting or admiring the bread, but eating it, right? We've all just admired and looked at bread, right? It's like, I wish I could eat that bread. It looks so tasty. And then we walk on. That's not what Jesus said. You can't just admire or glance at it. You've got to taste the bread of life. You must partake of him. Let's go with this analogy of bread again. Seeing a loaf of bread on a plate will not satisfy your hunger. Knowing the ingredients in the bread will not satisfy your hunger. Taking pictures of the bread with your cell phone will not satisfy your hunger. Telling other people about the bread will not satisfy your personal hunger. Selling the bread will not satisfy your hunger. If I just throw it in the air and play catch with the bread, it will not satisfy my hunger. Nothing satisfies but me eating that bread if I'm hungry, right? I have to eat it. Same thing with Jesus. We have to partake of him. We have to have Jesus with us, in us. And what that means is we have to abide with Jesus. And John's going to flesh that out in John chapter 15, that that
1: passage about abiding with Jesus. We have to spend time with him, right? We have to internalize him as our Lord and Savior. To extend this metaphor, what do you think might be the difference between just nibbling the bread of life rather than actually making a meal of it? Can we just nibble about Jesus? We talked about being
0: cafeteria Christians before, right? That's just nibbling, choosing parts of Jesus of that I life. We don't want to be cafeteria Christians. We want to fully eat the meal the bread of life. We want to be devoted Christians, right? Abiding in Him, walking with Him. So how do we do this? How do we eat the bread of life? told us in verse 29,
1: the first step is believe in him. Simple as that.
0: Believe in Jesus, whom God has sent from heaven. And if you have not done that tonight, I urge you to listen to the Holy Spirit nudging you. He's drawing you to himself. Put your faith in him. Do not leave here tonight without saying that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Talk to me, talk to someone in this room, but please do not leave without doing that. Because he's standing there waiting for you, he loves you. His arms are open wide. He wants you to accept him as his Lord and Savior. He wants you to believe.
1: Second thing we do as a believers, we abide in Him. Not one time, not occasionally, but
0: daily, constantly, we're walking with Jesus. We're abiding with Him. How do we do that? Well, we, we, we have the Holy Spirit, right? We listen to the Holy Spirit as he guides us. Listening to the Holy Spirit means what? We have to slow down and stop and listen, right? We have to stop listening to ourselves, get past ourselves. I have to get past Charles, and I've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I want to listen to him. Read and study God's word. Yes, this is a book, but it's more than that. It's God's word. His holy, inspired, and errant word. It's his love letter to us. If you want to know about God, know about Jesus, know about abiding in him, read it. It's our instruction
1: manual. Pray. Spend time praying to him. And,
0: I, and when I mean pray, I mean pray to him, not just give him a laundry list of your needs and wants. Praise him for who he is. Confess your sins give prayers of thanksgiving, and then be quiet and let him respond to you through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the most sweetest aspects of my prayer are when I stop talking,
1: right? Just Charles, shut up and listen, and God will speak. Reflect and remember. Reflect on what God has done for you. Remember what he's done. Next week, Easter service to be reflecting what he did for all humanity
0: but I'm sure there's other things he's done in your lives in addition to your salvation,
1: which is amazing, right? But reflect on what he has done. Be discipled by others. That's biblical, right? That takes humility,
0: right? I've got to humble myself and say, can you teach me what God's word says? Can we dive in this together? Again, it takes us getting past ourselves and realizing Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and he wants me to learn about him, well, then I need somebody to work with this through, right? Iron sharpens iron. Ladies tend to do a great job of that, just by
1: personality, right? As God made them. Better than men. Men disciple one another, right? Doesn't have
0: to be a competition. We tend to make it a competition, right? We try to one-up each other. That's just a male thing to do, right? But quell that, right? Humble yourselves before God and say, teach us. Young men, find a mature Christian. Let them disciple you. Older men, disciple
1: younger men. God tells us to do that. Ladies, the same thing. He tells you to do that as well. Older women,
0: disciple younger women. Younger women, let older women disciple you how we grow together. All this is part of eating the bread of life, taking that in. Second thing, sharing the bread of life. How do we advance the gospel? By sharing the bread. God just does not want us to keep it to ourselves. Which is what we try to do with physical bread, right? We try to keep it all to ourselves. When my daughter makes hot, fresh bread, she has to make two loaves because that first loaf goes in 15 minutes. Or less, you know. You just want to keep it to yourself, right? That's not what Jesus wants you to do with bread. He wants you to share it. In Acts chapter two, verses forty-two to forty-seven, what were the first believers doing? They were breaking bread together. They were each other's houses. It was like communion group every day of the week, right? It was a BYOB—bring your own bread—every <laughs> evening. Okay. So I'm. I'm <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sharing the gospel is what he wants you to do. Sharing the break, sharing the gospel. Everyday evangelism, right? As you're talking with people, as you're out and about, as you're in the grocery store, as you're
1: at work. Everyday evangelism. And we're going to be, the elders and I have been
0: talking about giving some training on that, how how you do those everyday conversations. And we'll practice
1: that together coming up after the summer. Because well, it's important for us to do, right? I understand sometimes it feels uncomfortable.
0: And some of you at work have certain restrictions. There's things I cannot do at a state institution like Texas a and right? But there's things I can do. And there's things I can do that draw students towards me that have those conversations. So we'll talk about how, how you do those things. Do you love people enough to share the bread of life so they too can have eternal life? And we tend to share what we love, Right? share our favorite movies, our favorite songs, our favorite meals, do we share Jesus? Do we love him enough to share it? Do you love people enough to share the bread of life so they too can have eternal life?
1: Or I've said this before, don't we flip it. How much do you hate people to not share the gospel? Share the bread of life. It's obvious that the Jews chose
0: not to get this, right? They, did not, they chose not to understand. And it's after this, this discussion that they start figuring out ways to try to arrest Jesus, and we'll see that as we go, continue through John. They want to arrest him, and eventually they want to kill him, right? But it's this passage here that is, is the crux that broke their backs. They said, enough's enough. We cannot let this man continue. He's saying he's the son of God. He's saying that he can give eternal life. He's saying that he is greater than Moses, who gave us the law. And they're beside themselves after this. And they want to arrest him, and they finally kill him. But of course, we know the rest of the story. They do kill him, but he steps out of the grave. As the children sang, he arose. And next week, we will get to celebrate that, right? And remember and reflect on what he did for us.
1: Jesus, the Son of God, is essential for life and eternal life. I pray everyone in here
0: has the security of eternal life. Jesus said in there, his God, Father's seal is on that promise. And that's important because most of the people at this time were illiterate, right? They couldn't read or write. And so they put wax seals on things and say, this has the authority. And Jesus
1: says, God the Father has put his seal on this promise of eternal life. It is assured. As the worship team comes forward, I want you to ask yourself,
0: are you, do you have assurance of your salvation?
1: Do you know that you know that you know that you know that you know you're going to heaven? If there's any doubts, see me, see Pastor Bill. I'm gonna stand up here if you need prayer or have questions.
0: If tonight you wanna say, I wanna make Jesus my Lord and Savior, I want to acknowledge that I believe then do that. Do not wait. Let's celebrate with you. And praise God for that decision. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we come before you. And thank you for just a simple message that we are to believe. that we believe in you as a son of God, as our Lord and our Savior. The only one who can remove our sins as far as the east from the west. The only one who can give us eternal life. I give you praise,
1: Father, for that. In the name of Jesus we pray, your holy name, amen.